This is episode 15 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hey, Andrew Hines here, and I'm going to introduce today's guest, Gary Spencer-Smith. Gary is a real estate investor for the last 10 years. He's located on the west side of Canada right now on Vancouver Island, which is a very expensive market, very nice province as well. Gary has been doing a lot of buy and holds using joint ventures, and today we're going to talk a lot of shop about investing in small markets, about managing contractors, about doing joint ventures, all the good stuff that uh, should be in a toolkit for the average investor. Before we get into that, I wanted to make another announcement about the upcoming real estate get-together that I'm having in Burlington, Ontario. So for the friends that uh, are listening who are in the greater Toronto area, greater Hamilton area, and uh, would like to attend, come out, meet me, meet uh, fellow investors in the area, have a beer, have some appetizers, and just talk shop, uh, it's a great way to help each other grow. And uh, there's no charge for entry or anything like that. Just order off the menu as you please. I'm really looking forward to it. We've got several confirmed already. And uh, I would really love to put some faces to names of people who have uh, contacted me. So if you can make it, uh, by all means, please reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at the Andrew Hines and uh, let me know and I will get you the details. I'll add you to the group. So without further ado, here is the episode with Gary Spencer-Smith. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Gary Spencer-Smith. Did I say that right? Yep, that was right. Yeah. Gary Spencer-Smith is on the show and Gary is a real estate investor, done quite a few things, but I'm actually just meeting him for the first time. So rather than me introduce him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him do the spiel. So Gary, first off, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, you're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, why don't you start off by uh, telling me a little bit about yourself? What are you into? Um, so I'll give you my quick, um, my 30 second elevator pitch. So basically I've been investing roughly for about 10 years full time um, as a profession uh, where it's actually like supporting my life. It's what I live off. I, my history personally was I used to be in the Royal Navy, came from England originally. That was the accent. Uh, served all over the world. Um, got to over a hundred countries, got a good perspective on life and then got injured in service and pensioned out and moved to Canada in 2007 and then 2009 was when I really started investing full-time. Uh, since then I've done lease options, rent-to-owns, buy and hold, buy, reno, refinance, getting into commercial now. So I've kind of dabbled in quite a lot of stuff but I guess about seven years ago I found something that was really working well where I was and I just kind of stuck at that for a good few years and that's what really accelerated me to where I am today. So what's the, uh, what's the thing that was working really well? Um, in, in my town here, I mean, we guess we all kind of go down, well, me personally, and I think a lot of people I speak to, they'll go on various courses and you'll learn things and try them. And I was kind of dabbling like that around real estate. And for me, I found in the area where I invest on Vancouver Island, it was better to buy something. And the, the numbers that were at the time were buying it for about 140, 160. You were spending about 50, 60 on a renovation, putting the suite in and then renting it out. So you're really hitting that 1% rule. So for every 100,000 spent, I was getting 1,000 of income, like very easily. So I kind of did that, stuck to that, and did that consistently for quite a few years. Uh, did quite a few joint ventures doing that as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, time will help you out as well, and, you know, markets, appreciation, and all that, which I wasn't buying for that. I was just finding something that made good cash flow that I could live off. 
So, so you're, you're creating the cash flow. I was about to say 140 to 160. Where are you buying for 140 to 160? <laughs> so nowhere now. <laughs> but, but at the time, it was uh, in the Alberni Valley on Vancouver Island. Okay. So the, the nearest big town, I guess, I say big town, it's not really a city, but was Nanaimo. Okay. Um, and they were about an extra 100 to 150,000 on purchase price, but you're only getting about 50 to 100 dollars extra of income. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, in my mind, it just didn't make yeah. sense. Um, so, go ahead. So you were doing a lot of conversions, you were saying? Yeah, so we were buying the house, gutting the house down to studs, and then putting a suite in, redoing all the plumbing mm-hmm. and electrical, like literally a full reno on the house. Okay, that's interesting. And, and did, you, did you find that the municipality there was just pro-conversions? Uh, they wanted the secondary dwellings? Uh, there was no rules. So when I first started, there was literally zero rules. Um, I don't want to say it was the Wild West. Um, I mean, there was building code. And when I was looking at it, I made sure that I did everything to the building code. So the smoke alarms, the fire separation, the noise, the separate driveways. Like, in, And I wasn't doing it because that was the rules. I was doing it because in my head, I was thinking... What are going to be the arguments in this house? And it's going to be, oh, the heat's too cold, heat's too thick. Like, you know, there are mm-hmm. someone's parking, the drive. So I was trying to alleviate the problems before they happened. And it just so happened by doing that, I met all the building code and, uh, you know, learned about things along the way. Then in 2014, 15, the city brought in some rules. Okay. And they just adopted rules from another city. And basically all of my suites at that time became illegal. <laughs> so it was a... Uh, I mean, I've been petitioning the city for years, you know, and and they were just like, well, we're just putting some rules in place because there is nothing and there's a lot of unsafe housing out there, which I understand Mm -hmm. that fully. And when they brought them in, it was what they said was, we are going, anyone who's already had suites in place can get them inspected and you'll get like a permit to say, okay, even though you don't conform, we're aware there's a suite and it's still safe. That was Mm -hmm. how they pitched it. And it's kind of stayed that way for yeah. quite a few years until about the last two years. And we've got a new bylaw inspector and now they're really clamping down, but they're also changing the rules to suit what the yeah. town has. So I think in the next while I'll, I'll see them all become legal again. Cause the only reason they're legal, I don't live upstairs. That's the only thing that doesn't make them legal. Oh, okay. So that's what <laughs> they want. Yeah. So I sell the house to you and you live upstairs. Yeah. It's legal. You sell it back to me as an investor. Now it's illegal. So it's, it's, it's kind of a silly rule. We're in a housing crisis. I mean, we've got less than 1% vacancy. There's no affordable yeah. housing. So they're kind of in talks about how to get mm. this going. So. Okay, so just for context, the, the community you're investing in, what's the population of the immediate community? Um, 20,000 in, in the area. About 20,000. Yeah. And then is there a greater area where there's a population in that, that pocket or not really? That, that, that is our 20,000. There's 12 yeah. in the downtown and then there's 20 yeah. in the surrounding, but the surrounding is like 15 minutes. It's not okay. like, it's not like an urban sprawl. We're kind of blocked yeah. by a valley and the next, you drive an hour every direction to get to the next town. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I guess you would classify that as sort of a smaller market. Oh yes, for sure. It is a small market. Okay. Now, this is always an interesting topic to me when I see people investing in smaller markets. And there's, there's another quali- follow-up question I have about the, uh, the legalities of your, your conversions and what's happened. But how do you have comfort investing in smaller markets? What do you look for and what, what makes you comfortable? Um, no, I'm a, I'm a member of you know, the, the Real Estate Investment Network and they have their top towns and all okay. this. And, and every group has their own things that they look for. I mean, we, we have lots of drivers, influencers, that affect markets. Mm-hmm. For me, when I was buying, at first, honestly, it was just because it was near where I lived. And I wasn't okay. going to just invest, I was going to work 
on my business and in my business to generate revenue. So if jobs needed fixed, I would go fix them myself when I started and then I would build that out back to the house. So I was kind of generating a revenue for myself so I could shift out of that job. Okay. Um, but you've got to find what, what is working because you can't just take something that works in a top town and apply it to a small town. You've got to really find a little niche that works. And, and that's how I found those suites actually worked for me um, in this market. The tenant demographics are different and you've got to be willing to accept what those demographics offer in a town. Because in a small town, you, don't have, you can't pick from lower, middle, and upper class. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I grade my tenants on my properties. So I'll grade them A, B, and C. A is like your show home, your show tenants, you know, the, the perfect professionals, you know, the, the, maybe it's the, the dog between them. That would be your A tenants. And then your C tenants are the people that live check to check. But they're still, you know, so you may have to, if they're between jobs, because we're a logging town as well. So if it was okay. a logging person I'm renting to and all of a sudden it's quiet, then you might have to carry them, not for a month, but for a few weeks till they figure their stuff out. So you've got to be willing to play like that in the market and some people don't want that they want like the first of the month notice is given if they don't pay they're out whereas yeah you have to have flexibility i think in working with c tenants you brought up an interesting point there that uh you don't have the the, the whole selection so you're yeah. you're said you're dealing mostly with c tenants was that yeah. because it's a logging based town um pretty much yeah we have um, a lot of uh the demographics of this town we have a lot of the first nation bands from the west coast this okay. is their hub where their governments are. Okay. So even though some are treating out, so there's a lot of money being spent at the minute in economic development by the First Nations. And I, I tell people, you know, it's, yes, it's a small town, but it's not going anywhere because we have 14 to 17 First Nations bands that have all their stuff here and all the things that support that, all the schooling, mm -hmm. the, the healthcare, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not leaving town because yes. they're not leaving. And it's not like a TELUS or a corporation that's going to move. Mm -hmm. um, and then because it's a working class town as well, yes, the C-type tenants. So when I'm getting kitchens, I don't buy an MFR, you know, um, Home Depot pre-packed kitchen. It's, as soon as it gets wet, it expands and you're done. I'll buy like a solid mm -hmm. wood custom kitchen. And then that way, if someone sticks a knife in it, you can fill it, sand it. Like you've got yeah. to think, how can I repair this? What if this breaks? things like that. So it's, you, you might spend a bit more, but then mm -hmm. you, you're getting the durability out of something. That's a, yeah, it's such an interesting topic. We could probably talk about this forever because I've been, I've been catering to the A type tenant, worst case of B. I, I've done a lot of student rentals, high-end student rentals where yeah. mom and dad are paying. They're rough on stuff. So <laughs> I, I'll usually, but I, I like to make it nice anyway. So I'll do quartz on the counter yeah. Um, I do pretty nice van vanities and, and stuff that you can paint them if you need to. They're painted, yeah. paint finish. Um, so yeah, it lets you touch them up if you need to. Now I'm kind of transitioning gears because I've been doing that in London, Ontario. Yeah. But the market's gone so crazy that cash flow sort of ran away. And it's already far away from home for me. Like my closer to home is, is Burlington, if you're familiar with yeah. that. Yeah. No, it was yeah. just up in Toronto last week. So. Yeah. So I'm looking at a market called Welland. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Welland and St. Catharines yep. area. Yeah, St. Catharines, yep. They just yes. got to go there, right? Yeah, they're yeah, well it's it's, oh, it's in process, yeah. yeah. So so there's a lot so there's a lot going on in St. Catharines, but then I'm looking kind of 15 minutes south of there and it's this little community which I'm I'm having trouble figuring out just what it has economically. Like I I come from investing in a in a market where it's economically diverse, it's got healthcare, education, manufacturing, it's just it's self-sustaining. Whereas this community seems to be totally reliant. 
However, geographically, it's so close to everything. So I'm so interested in that topic. And I think it's, since I'm interested, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and hopefully other people find it interesting too. Um, what your thoughts are on, on markets like that and, and what your approach would be if you were to look at another small market. So it's funny because I just drove around St. Catharines mm -hmm. last week to have a look around that area. I drove to Niagara, yeah. had, a, had a look around. And um, I think where we are different here is one, on the island, we're isolated just by being on Vancouver Island. Yeah. Now, I know Vancouver Island, for people that aren't aware, it's like the size of England. Like, it's huge. It's big, yeah. Yeah. And um, they've got these little communities that are just dotted. And then the next one's 45 minutes to an hour away. So even though you're close by drive like time wise you're actually there's nothing in between that drive so i know when i was in st Catharines, and you, it's very easy to jump on a highway and get to mm -hmm. a major metropolis whereas we don't have that ability here so right. we've got to get on a ferry it's like it's a day trip if you want to go to mm -hmm. vancouver um so for that being said i think we're a little bit more self-sufficient within that community because they have right. to be um so Whereas you have everything you need there. Yeah, yeah, within there. I mean, we have, you know, the, the home hardware. The yes, you might pay a little bit more because you're more remote. Um, but everything is here. You actually don't need to leave this town to do anything. You just might pay more for it. That's um, amazing. Whereas I think other small towns, if you can drive to a metropolis area, then yeah. it's... Because I know Merritt in BC. I, I lived there for a year. Mm -hmm. But that's a drive to Vancouver. It's a three-hour drive or, you know, to Kelowna, a couple hours... So for them to get to these bigger metropolises, they don't have everything they need in merit because they can just drive for two hours and get to it, whereas we don't have that ability. So, Interesting. I, I think you, you want to yeah. make sure if you're looking at a smaller market, um, is there a reason that people will leave? Because yeah. really, yeah, there's no reason for that people have to leave. And then the second thing I would look at is what is the real market behind the market? Because everyone calls us a logging town, but it's not. We're supported by... Like I said, the First Nations governments, the things that support that and all the support things that go behind supporting remote communities. Yeah. This is just the hub of those. I think someone um, actually said it to me the other day and it made so much sense, was we're, we're almost becoming the Squamish to Whistler as we are to Tofino with that drive. So people are starting to move back from Tofino yeah. and even renting Airbnbs here and stuff. So we're almost becoming that gateway to something else. To clarify for people who aren't familiar, how exactly do you mean in terms of, are you like a bedroom community to another community almost? Um, when tourists are going to Tofino, it's about a million people go through Port Alberni every year on the way to Tofino. And okay. I speak to so many people, I'm like, oh yeah, Vancouver Island. And they're like, Port Alberni, no, I don't know where it is. I'm like, have you been to Tofino? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you drove through us. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's kind of starting to capitalize yeah. on that. And because Tofino is so landlocked yeah. because of the sea, people are now, investors are starting to move back this yeah. way okay well we can't do anything else here what can i do there <laughs> and i'm starting to see a snowball effect which wasn't planned but we've yeah. seen the prices starting to go up the demand like it's just yeah really starting to boom but we're 12 months behind everything else interesting and so here's my take on what's happening back where we are so i'm in the the greater toronto area yeah i, I read this in don campbell's original book way back when like about how you drop a rock in a pond and then the ripples go out and yeah. ever since that, it always resonated with me and I was always watching. I mean, it's okay. So Toronto's the epicenter, whatever happens, happens there and then spreads. And I've watched it happen slowly over the last say 10 years where prices just got driven up in Mississauga, Oakville. These are the cities in order coming outside of, of Toronto. Well, Oakville yeah. was a little up anyway, cause it was high end, but 
So then it just, the ripples kept spreading and it actually made its way all the way to London. Finally, London got expensive. So now people started going to out, outer smaller towns outside of London. And it's basically once one market gets too expensive, it's like kind of people just decide that they're in a move and they'll just drive to work. Oh, whatever. I'll drive the 20 minutes in if I need yeah. to. It's gone to the extreme now because if somebody were to move to St. Catharines or even Welland and they had to commute to Toronto by the train, even when the train comes, they're looking at like an hour and a half. And to me, I can't understand that because it's insanity to me. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But obviously somebody would. And I just keep seeing it. And I don't see another way for our market to go. Uh, and I think anyone who's, who's near a major metropolis that's growing is probably going to see something similar, right? That like if you're near Manhattan, the things around yeah. Manhattan are going to go up consistently as long as Manhattan keeps going up. But yeah. if Manhattan crashes, that's your epicenter. And then the ripples spread out the same way, right? Have you heard of the golden hour? Golden hour? Yeah. No. So it, it's a term coined um, from London, basically, which is mm -hmm. the center of the UK. And, it, it's the, and I've looked at other cities, and now you're speaking about Toronto. So if you can travel within an hour of your epicenter where you drop the stone, mm -hmm. then it's, it's going to be dictated by what's happening in that mm -hmm. center. Um, and when you're on about Toronto growing, you know, in the ripples, so Nanaimo, even though we're on an island, are getting two fast cats. And they're really close to getting this, which will mean they're only going to be 45, 50 minutes from downtown Vancouver. Oh, okay. Well, anywhere that's in, because people don't leave work and go, oh, I live 44 miles away. They go, I live 55 minutes away, or I live an hour and 20, like mm -hmm. you just said it there. But we don't even know the distance, we just know the time. Mm -hmm. So if you're less than an hour, then typically you're going to pay more for your property, you're going to pay more, because people don't mind traveling right. up to an hour usually. Mm -hmm. So if you're within that golden hour of what's going on, and like you said, you're, Toronto's the epicenter, but then it moved out a bit. Well, now you've got an hour to there because that's now a community that people want. Yes. So it, it just keeps spreading. It keeps like spreading. That. It's like new and little, you, new little yeah. pebbles. <laughs> yeah. And once Nanaimo goes, uh, goes within an hour, we're going to see density. We're going to see prices increase. Mm -hmm. But then the people who live there that can't afford it, they've got to move somewhere. Well, there's only here that's the next affordable town. Yeah. So that's going to put demand on this market. And I'm starting to see demographics change in the town. And none of this was intentional when I started. Yeah. But now I'm aware of it. I can observe it and see how it's going to affect the market in the future now looking ahead. Yeah. And just to clarify, fast cats, those are planes, right? No, these are like um, catamaran boats, but just passengers. Oh. So instead of a ferry that takes an hour and a half, and then you've got to drive downtown for an hour, okay. for like 40 minutes. It's literally downtown Nanaimo, sit on a boat, 45 minutes, downtown Vancouver, right in the center. That's perfect, right? So that, that chain, when you yeah. see, this is a perfect lesson. Like when you hear about an announcement for transit, that's going to make a place accessible now yeah. within this golden hour. Now, all of a sudden, now you, you know, wherever you are in the States, we have a bunch of American listeners or, and yeah. or in Canada. Now that's all of a sudden, uh, maybe a, a place you want to think about investing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's fully on my radar right now. And houses in that area are about 600, mm -hmm. which is, um, I know some people in where you're saying in the States are like 600,000. That's like nine houses. Yeah. <laughs> Depends yeah. on the market. Yeah. Um, so I am, um, but it's, and I think, I think a key thing to note is not to do it just on the announcement. Cause that's, we're speculating, right? Yeah. I think to do it once the spades are in the ground, the contract signed. And, yeah. and I know they've tried this before and it failed mm -hmm. and there's reasons it failed. You can look into but I spoke to the city because I know people that are investing because I coach clients and they're actually buying in Nanaimo. And I said, don't buy in this street until you know 100% that that cat is there and it's, yeah. it's going. And yes, you might pay a little bit more, but now you know it's the market's actually being driven. 
Right. Cause the initial announcement is I've heard that could be about a 10% bump. And then when it actually yeah. starts, then you're really going to see growth. But if you can get on, yeah, shovel in the ground is a, is an insurance policy. Yeah. And even then you're not fully protected because there have been projects that have been called off or delayed or changed plans. Oh, yeah. It can yeah. happen. But I mean, yeah, I guess as long as you're not putting all your eggs in that basket and you hedge yourself, oh, yeah. it should be okay. Yeah, and I think once it's there, like I, I said to her, you know, I, I like the town in Nanaimo. It's a great investment town. But I just said to her, I would wait before you overspend in an area mm-hmm. to be sure that's going to happen. Otherwise, if it doesn't, you've just overspent for an area. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's get a little more con- context on you, Gary. Are you, okay. uh, are you a buy and hold guy now? Do you, do you hold a lot of properties or are you a flip guy? Um, how would you categorize yourself? I would say I'm a buy and hold, um, primarily 95% buy and hold. It's, uh, you know, wealth is created in time. And so what did someone else say to me the other week? They went, and even if you make a mistake, time will help fix it in real estate. <laughs> if you, you know, there's a lot yeah. of people bought and made a mistake. And I, I know people personally that have bought and they're, they're hurting for three years and then something happens and they're like, oh, it's okay now. It's like, well, so uh, yeah, buy and hold. I like, I buy for cash flow. I started very much where I was working in the business. We tried to find a property management company to manage all our properties that mm-hmm. we couldn't. So we actually started property management company ourselves. So now we have staff that help do that. It's a common um, story. Yeah, yeah. And it was, um, I, I, I knew I wanted to work in and around real estate, but I didn't want to be a realtor. Uh, no offense to realtors. It just wasn't something that I wanted to get involved in. I like my weekends and time mm-hmm. off. Um, and I wanted to control my own schedule. So I started doing, like I say, the renos myself, being paid. When I was getting a joint venture partner, rather than build that out to a contractor, we still used electricians, plumbers, all the rest of it. I just mm-hmm. uh, project managed, did what I could. and then. Uh, but I would build myself out at a cheaper rate. So I'd build myself for like 25 bucks an hour when I first started. Okay. And I would be, so that created an income. You know, I'd get a few thousand dollars a month and it allowed me to start investing without worrying about income and all the rest of it. I mean, now we don't, but I've learned very fast that my time's worth a lot more than 25 bucks an hour. Yeah. To clarify, (laughs) to clarify. So you're billing basically yourself, billing your own projects. Well, the joint venture projects. Oh, they were joint venture. So you, you were, you're partnered with other people when you got started. Yeah. Okay. I I didn't have a lot when I started. So my, I'll tell you my very first property and this is what lit me up. Okay. Um, I emigrated to Canada. I had to put forty percent down because I had to get a line of credit because I couldn't get a mortgage. Being a foreigner, I had no credit, um, and I was at eight percent in '07 okay. on my first. Uh, it wasn't even a mortgage. And then as soon as I could qualify, I refinanced, pulled some equity out, and went and bought my first investment property, which was my second home back then. You could put five percent down on that. Okay. So it was a townhouse. I put six thousand dollars down. It went up about fifteen, twenty thousand dollars the next year, and I was going to England, and I needed some capital, and I had two choices: I could either flip the house and cash and pay the taxes, or I could find an investor to come in and buy that capital and then have a share. So I approached my cousin, said, "Hey, do you want to buy this um, this equity in this house?" And I didn't understand how I was doing this; I was just totally winging it. I said, um, "Do you want to buy the capital in this house? And if we sell it tomorrow, you get your money back." And then we split everything 50-50 after that, which worked mm-hmm. out. He would have made about 20% if we'd sold it the day after. So okay. he gave me the cash. I went to England and I'm sitting on the plane. I'm calculating the ROI, which again, I wasn't doing beforehand. Yeah. I did the math and I'm like, I just made 333% return on my money in 12 months. I've now got zero money invested in the house and I still own the house. And I was just like, holy shit, how do I keep doing that? <laughs> so Interesting. It yeah. was just like when you do the math and you start realizing the returns, I was just like, wow, I've got it. And so that started my path of like, okay, I, 
I've got to educate okay. myself about this. Okay. So just a couple of, of specifics on that. So you had the house for about a year, you said? Yep. Yeah. What, what did you buy it for again? Um, it was like uh, around a hundred. Just around a hundred thousand. So a townhouse. Yeah. Um, it went up in value by how much you figure? 20,000. 20,000. And then you, whatever you had into it, you refinanced and then you took whatever equity was left over and you got that from your brother-in-law? No, I didn't actually refinance. I actually okay. just, my cousin just wrote me a check oh, for $20,000. So he gave me $20,000 cash. So, so you I'm got all your money title. out. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have to be on, he didn't have to qualify for a mortgage. So it helped him. It didn't go against his debt service. And yeah. then we just had an agreement that if I sold it or we refinanced it, he would get his 20 grand first and we'd split everything 50, 50 after that. Yeah, that's, well, that's a common, in, in, in practice, that's a common JV yeah. arrangement. Um, now, obviously, you probably did have a contract or was this a handshake? Oh, totally a handshake. Yeah. <laughs> I love we the handshake deal. Now. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, yeah. I think the real need for contracts. We have four joint ventures yeah. and outside of people, it, it's more if, yeah. if something goes wrong and I tell people, you know, yes, I know we're great friends, but what if, what if I die? Yeah. Who's protecting you then? And it, it's more for that. And I would recommend yes. anybody who's doing a joint venture, get your paperwork, get it signed, get it notarized before you even transfer any cash. It just, it keeps it clean, simple. Everybody knows the rules they're following. Yeah. Cause you can, you never know if you might, you know, get in a car accident on the way to the lawyers, you haven't signed it and you already got the cash in your account. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a, that's a challenge, right? So yeah. I'm of the same, same belief, right? It, I mean, it's, you do deal with deals with friends and family and referred and everybody trusts everybody, but you're like, well, if something happened to me, I would never want to put you in that position. So let's, yeah, let's get our ducks in a row and, and make sure it's done right. And I've actually been bit in the ass doing a joint venture handshake deal. Like, I mean, it ended up working out great, but it mm -hmm. was just because we didn't have it written down and they wanted out. It was like, well, that's not what we agreed on. And that's, and it was all yeah. verbal. So we kind of negotiated and ended up good, but it's still, it, it was yeah. a stressful time. Well, the more moving parts, the more likely people are to forget too. Yeah. I, I've yeah. noticed like if it's a simple interest rate, like your interest rate is 8% or whatever it is. And that's easy to calculate. There's no confusion there. But the second you're like, well, this is what we do. If this happens, this is what we do. If this happens, man, if you don't have that written down, people seem to forget things. And I've just encountered this lately. I had a private lender that told me he, one thing was in his contract. He called me up. He's like, Oh yeah, don't worry about that. He's like, if I'm, I'm easy going, you can talk to, you know, this person who he also deals with and he'll tell you how easy going I am. I'm like, okay, well, and I've dealt with him before too. It was okay. And then sure enough, uh, and the end of it comes around and he changed his tune completely wanted to sock me with all these extra fees. I never said that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. Well, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it just reiterated to me, man, get things in writing. Yeah. And it's, um, I think, uh, when you're doing joint ventures and this would be one of the things that I always tell people when I'm sitting down with my joint venture partners is write down a what if list and think of the craziest stuff that could possibly happen and just ask the question, what if, and then what we'll do is come back to the table and go, well, what if that does happen? And then you decide ahead of time, um, what's going to happen in that case. I know we had one person where we did a rent to own and the guy had actually, it was a sadder story. He, he tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. He'd gone through a really dark time in his life. His, his mom had passed away, all the rest of it. And he'd fallen behind on his payments. So we effectively bought the house, rent to owned it back to him. Mm -hmm. So he could, we could take over the payments, help catch up all that kind of stuff. But, you know, everyone was happy, but because he'd had this history, we were like, well, what if he kills himself? So we actually had it where he had a life insurance policy that was already in place before he tried. So it was still valid. And we mm -hmm. checked with the insurance. It was still valid in case anything happened. 
And we said, okay, make us the benefactors of that insurance policy. And if something happens, like even if you just die naturally, what we'll do is pay off the mortgage on the house and we will re-rent back to your family for a hundred bucks a year for the rest of their lives as long as they stay living in the house. Okay. So now he knows his family's taken care of, but now we have a house 100% paid off that we can borrow against and go reinvest somewhere else. But create a win-win out of that one. Yeah. Wow, that's a cur- that's an interesting situation. <laughs> I'm not going to ask, but I hope it turned out. Uh, it it all went great. He ended yeah. up with a house. Everything was awesome. So he's okay. got a good Okay. So happy ending then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I still I still want to get more into you a little bit. Um, if you if you don't mind ballpark, like how many doors are you at right now? Um, give um, me a little we, more insight. We bought a few. So we're currently sitting holding 21, 22, something like that doors. We just bought four in Leduc uh, okay. last week. Um, we okay. just started buying into commercial property. So we just bought a huge okay. 24,000 square foot commercial. And that's going to be the project for the next few months, get that up and running new tenants. Okay. Uh, kind of thing. So, so you've never dabbled in commercial. That's that's a new thing for you. No, I actually, <laughs> it's funny because I've always had this buy and hold strategy with residential. And it was working great. We get mm-hmm. great cash flow. We, you know, the portfolio was probably sitting around 5.6, 5.8. Um, Million in total? Yeah, in total yeah. value. Um, and then we end up with this commercial and so we would buy the commercial. It was all handshake deal originally because we know the person in the family and then we got it in writing. I go to the notary, I hand it in. I'm like, yeah, we're closing in like two weeks. He went, you do know you paid GST on this? <laughs> Cause it's commercial. I was like, no, I did not. So that was a $21,000 lesson in commercial investment. Yeah. <laughs> you had to pay. T- yeah. <laughs> but on the bright side, you sh- if you register, you should be able to get it back. Yes. Now I'm yeah. on the phone to the account going, hold yeah. off closing. We got to get registered for the GST <laughs> number so we can close. So, I mean, everyone's yeah. making it work, but yeah, it was a, yeah. It, it was a lesson for sure. <laughs> that That's stretching and bending a little bit to say, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Every time you get into something new, it's just these things just kind of slap you in the face a little bit. Uh, I, I'm speaking from, from personal experience, yeah. like, Oh, that's how that goes. But, yeah. uh, Hey, that's how I you learn. You do enough properties and we've yeah. done a few flips. We've done a few like, um, higher end where we've, um, done events at houses to help them sell. And then we've pocketed the spread. So mm-hmm. I've dabbled in a few things, but I, I just, I like the buy and hold and yeah. we, we stopped for about a year two about 18 months we stopped buying we were just okay let's figure out what we've got because we'd grown kind of quick but not very organized right um even though it was a business so we ended up going back speaking to the accountant saying look this is where we're heading now this is what i started going after five to ten and now we're getting to this point multiple joint venture partners so we needed to restructure the company Hmm. Um, we got a CEO now, so Chris Abrosso, who's also my stepdaughter, she's the CEO of our company now, so she manages all the back end, and it just keeps it clean, managed, yeah. and it allows me to go do what I'm good at. What, uh, what's your company called? Uh, Rental House Profits is the okay. active buying company. Uh, okay. Alberni Valley Rental House Profits, Inc. is the company, okay. but we also have the education company, revenue.com. Okay, so that's the YouTube channel, the education. We, okay. we coach people how to buy properties and stuff like that. Okay, so that's something, something you sort of got into because of your experience, I'm guessing, uh, doing all this. Um, again, it was kind of an organic growth. Uh, the lady who formed uh, Revenue is Julie Broad, who wrote the book More Than Cashflow. Mm-hmm. So Julie and Dave Penuick, they were from Nanaimo. So we kind of knew them, and I knew them through not through real estate. I, I met them before real estate. And... Uh, my stepdaughter actually bought the rights to teach their course, Rookie to Rock Solid Real Estate, which is like a seven-week program that helps people mm-hmm. get started. Um, and she did that 
without me knowing, I guess, for want of a better word, mm. um, on her own. And then we kind of, she had her own business on the side, was subcontracting to me, and that's kind of how we came together. So we amalgamated, and then she brought in the teaching, and then Julia just, she was selling her website, and I phoned it up and said, well, if we're teaching you courses, which were being directed from this website, it makes yeah. sense that we buy the website. So we had a conversation, and she went, well, if you buy the website, you can have the YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel is like 6,000 subscribers. It's already making money each month. Mm-hmm. So we were like, sure, that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of, you buy something that pays for itself over time. It made an investment choice to me. And we okay. get on really well with them. So we're like keeping them alive as well within, within that. Yeah. Because they built that brand and we kind of just bought it. So you're helping to design some course material as well now? Like it, you guys are working together yeah. on that? The curriculum yeah. is now a joint, a joint venture as well. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. kind of totally... Chris, I had a couple of courses that she could teach that were strictly from revenue and she had the license. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at it probably about eight months ago and said... Because I look at the real estate investment market and to me, there's two groups of people. The people that do nothing and then there's the people that are willing to spend some money to educate themselves. But that costs. I mean, you know, you go on a weekend course, it's a thousand bucks. You yeah. join a membership somewhere, it's anywhere between three and up to, as much as it pains me to say this, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. Yeah. <laughs> and I cringe every time I hear someone that's paid that. Um, but I'm like, uh, who's looking after that gap of people that want to start but don't yet see the value in spending three, five, ten, fifteen, thirty thousand dollars $30,000? So we formed a program called Reap the Real Estate Achievement Program. And we put all the programs that we had, which are um, Rookie to Rock Solid, Rent to Own and Creative Strategies, um, How to Raise Capital, Property Management, Personal Development and Business, and then also the coaching, which I'm licensed under the Legacy of Canada now to do real estate advising. Okay. Um, all of that is in one package and they subscribe for 97 bucks a month, but they have to subscribe for a year. And the reason I said a year is because it takes time to get experience. You can't do a weekend course. You can learn the concept and then you can go away as I did and make a shit ton of mistakes. And when Mm -hmm. you do that, you know, it's a stupid tax that we pay. The $21,000 tax because we know how to do something. Um, And if if I wasn't in a position where that wasn't an issue, $21,000, I would have been screwed. So, yeah. I mean, I was just lucky that we had a big pot that we're doing some work and I, I, it was like, okay, that was a lesson, but it wasn't an issue. Um, so I think working with people over a year and actually coaching them, because it's what you do anyway. If you're getting a joint venture partner, you almost mm-hmm. train them out about real estate and you spend four weeks coaching somebody, teaching them, whereas now it's like, hey, you know what? Get your level of knowledge up and then we'll have a more intellectual conversation around real estate. Yeah, there's a base learning that that's necessary. And now I send people to the podcast. They're like, any advice? I'm like, yep, listen to the podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> by the way, I've been listening to a few and, and these are awesome podcasts. So thank oh, you for doing this. It's, well, it thank really you very much. I appreciate you saying that. I try and keep it, uh, keep it, you know, stuff that I find interesting because I'm the best at asking questions about that. But luckily, I'm interested in, the, in this stuff exactly. So I, yeah. I love what you're sharing. And um, I, I still, I still want to get into more... Uh, more about your, your, your sort of system right now. Like, could you just, if you want to just stop doing everything and live off your rental income? Yes. Yes. So you've got the 22 doors. Yeah. They're mostly single detached homes or multis. Yeah. yeah. Mostly single detached, single detached homes. Uh, so it's a big, you know, decent sized portfolio with a pretty good value on it. Um, yeah. out of a $5.8 million portfolio before the commercial uh, aspect that you've added on now, uh, approximately what 
what portion can you take away from that as cash flow? If you don't mind me asking, you don't have to give exact. Uh, like monthly cash flow. Yes. Or and if we were to sell up and just pocket. No, just like monthly cash flow. I'm a buy and hold guy. I love I love the buy okay. and hold strategy. So monthly cash flow um, generates currently after after expenses probably about four grand a month. Okay. Um, and that's then that's after business expenses and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and that's just off the rents. Right. Um, it, it's probably a little more than that actually, but a lot of the time we leave money in an account still. Yes. So I've got you know I've, I've got JV partners where we've got bank accounts that are probably approaching. Fifteen to twenty thousand yeah. dollars for each property, so we could yeah. pull that as cash flow, but we actually don't because we don't need to. Like to leave it, yeah. yeah. I'm the same. I like to let every account like ten thousand is my bare minimum. Like yeah. every account, I I let it hit ten thousand before I'd even start taking money out of it. Yeah, and that, I actually like same. to let it grow beyond. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, we, we live. Um, you know, I mean, your business covers covers my vehicle, it pays for the phone. So we don't have to yes. have to draw that cash out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just cash flow. That's from right. rents. Um, we obviously, we have the company that does the property yeah. management. Yeah. Then we have the renovations. So if we've got trades, people coming in and we're project managing, we make on that kind of stuff. So we actually yeah. get little dips here and there as well. So it's interesting how you fell into that. Cause I, I fell into that, like that exact same type of thing. I started in mortgage brokering yep. with, because I wanted to invest in real estate and I knew nothing. So then yep. a few years pass and I finally, you know, I actually, I bought my first property within the first year as a, yep. well, it was going to be a rent owner. It didn't end up working out, but anyways, I owned a property. Uh, so I got a couple, then realized I ran out of money. I'm like, well, what do I do now? So I, I started dabbling in renovations and I managed it myself because not because I wanted to, but I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, but just because I'm like, well, I can't afford to hire a general because I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm inexperienced. They're going to see that and they're going to, they're going to take me, take me for a yeah. ride. Yeah. So I didn't, I contracted the whole thing myself and then I did a couple more, uh, ended up, you know, keeping a bunch of properties, refinancing them, sold a couple. And, um, all of a sudden my mother-in-law, who's uh, a developer, uh, future mother-in-law, she noticed, she's like, well, you're, you guys are doing that pretty quick. And, uh, you know, what would you think about building 27 townhouses for me? And my head just started spinning a little bit. I'm like, whoa, okay. wasn't expecting that. But all of a sudden I got into general contracting. I had other investors ask me to, you know, build their student rentals for them. And, um, again, never looking for this work. And now I'm helping build a custom home. And, and, uh, it's just, to me, it's Lego now. I just posted on this, this yesterday. Cause <laughs> like as a kid, I played with Lego and now I get to play with Lego on a bigger scale. Um, yeah. but you know, I like the results. So I can like the process. And at the end of it, when I get that result of cash flow, I'm like, boom, that's, that's where I wanted to be. I've had a hard time letting go of wanting everything to be so nice. Like yeah. all my properties are nice. And like looking in markets where things are kind of scuzzy and realizing that, Hey, cash flow would be a lot easier if I lowered my standard as a landlord as to what I wanted to own. So uh, long-winded story. That's kind of just telling you how I fell into this stuff. I know you fell into contracting, you fell into property management out of necessity, right? Yeah. You kind of needed yeah. it. I was just kind of doing it. I mean, I did have a background of skills. I'm an engineer by trade, electrical engineer. So before I okay. emigrated, I did my like electrical ticket. Uh, uh, I can do gas fit and fridge work. So mm-hmm. I kind of was around the trades a lot. So it just made sense to kind of take it on and, and do it. Like I'm, I'm actually pretty, I'm not saying that anyone should just fall in and start general contracting because there is a lot to learn. And, and if you make a mistake in that field, it can be very costly. 
Um, so I think if, if you've got a set of skills that transfer into it, and that could just be project management, it could be mm-hmm. people management, for want of a better word. I don't even call it property management. If you're good with people, yeah, I think you can naturally property manage because that's what it is. It's not the property. Yeah. If you're organized, and I'm not as organized as I should have been, like when I was getting to about between five and ten, I was I was juggling, and something okay. would happen over here, and all of a sudden you're forgetting about what's happening over here, and that's where I really had to stop a year ago and be like, okay, let's get this organized. My stepdaughter, you know, she came into we joined our companies together. She took on the CEO role and okay. basically runs the business in the back end, which is awesome. I could not do what I do without having that close team. I know you talk about build your real estate team, but even that close team, it's just not who I am. So I think people have to really know their skill sets mm-hmm. and not think, well, I can just do that because that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you obviously have a skill set even when you were taking that on. You know, you've worked with numbers, even being a yeah. broker. You know, your, your numbers are in your head and any big project is just numbers. It's just where the numbers yeah. are coming. Well, I had a, I have a business background. I graduated from business school. Um, taught, I taught, uh, actually at the same school that I I graduated from for a few years as well (laughs) business. So I think what that led to was me. And I, I say this to people, I actually think that, that having an education and having capabilities, like you could, you could probably wire a house yourself, but then you have to be able to step back and say, look, I, I feel strongly that I would do it better to my liking than anyone else would but I don't want to spend that time doing that. Like I'm really good at bookkeeping, which is a detriment <laughs> and, and an asset too. Like I'm probably the best bookkeeper I'll ever have because I'll do it exactly the way I want it, but that's a low paid job. Yeah. And, and having a lot of skills, like being able to video edit or do these things, like these lead me to spend a lot more time doing things that I probably should be out making deals. So yeah. I have to be very introspective about all this and say, look, these are the things I will spend time on. These, these are the things they won't. So it's interesting you bring up that point. It, it's good though when you, when you think, and obviously I'm not saying you on, but when you think you're really good at something, which I do, because we all like our ego <laughs> to be stroked, and then you find someone that's actually really, really yeah. good at it, yeah. you realize how shitty you actually were. Yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. not always, yeah. but I'm just, there's, always. there's a lot of things like that. And I mean, I think, like you said as well, having the skill set and the knowledge, and this is applied directly to my stepdaughter when she first started with me, she went, I want to learn what you do. And I said, well, why don't you come and work on a couple of houses, work mm-hmm. with the contractors and learn how they do it. It's kind of like going to work. And she, you know, she's a young woman getting into the industry. You're typically working with guys in the field, mm-hmm. 90% of the time in, in the trades. I said, they'll try and tell you what they want to do. I went, if you know how it can be done, then they're not going to bullshit you. So yep. she actually learned, she can like wire, she can plumb, she can do all the trades. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not certified, but now when she's speaking to the trades people, they know she knows her stuff. So yes. they're not BSing her. And she's like, no, this is how I want it done. I want it done like that. If you've got a jackhammer the floor, jackhammer the floor. But it can be done. So yeah. I think learning what's possible, even if you just got to watch someone else doing it first mm-hmm. to know that's possible, I think that's a great skill to take you know and yeah. i don't mean go stand over your plumber's shoulder and watch what he's doing and tell him oh you should be doing that different but at least right. you can set the goal because a lot of times we'll say things that we want even in real estate and we're not clear on the vision yes and you end up at the end and people are like oh that's not really what i wanted well you weren't clear enough on the vision if you didn't mm. communicate that properly you yeah you read a great point there too uh just knowing what goes into things makes you able to talk to contractors and if you can't that's when they start taking advantage of you in a lot of ways, right? If you want people to, you need your, your contractors to respect you. 
Yeah, and, and even don't. if you're raising joint venture capital, like yeah. joint venture, I had a joint venture partner, yeah. and she was like, "Well, that's a long time for this labor. Like, how much?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Why don't you show up to the house tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get you doing some stuff?" Just you know, so she hadn't because she had no idea. Yeah, so she turned up the next day, and I said, "Look, here's an easy one. Why don't you just because we were refinishing these solid wood cabinets? I went, why yeah. don't you just paint the cabinets?" So she painted the cabinets, and it took her all day. Like all day, and then she had to clean the brushes at the end and all the rest of it. She yeah. said, wow, that took ages. I went, exactly. So now you've got a concept of the time right. it takes to get a project done. So when you get a bill that's like, you know, $10,000 for labor, she's like, oh, okay, now I understand where all these hours yeah. have come from. So it's, um, again, it helped her understand that and it stopped her micromanaging. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's a, another great point is, is when I was doing future after my first one where I like, I general contracted the whole thing. I now, when I, when I budgeted out other things, I thought about how long they took more so than I thought about what the bill was. I'm like, okay, yeah. this took a guy working full-time or would take a guy working full-time probably two weeks. And then yeah. when you start to know that, you put the numbers together and you say, well, even if, a, if I sub this out and the contractor is not willing to give me that price, I could probably find a guy to work hourly and get it done. Yeah. And, yeah. and it gives you some certainty in, in the numbers if you can do that. So mm. another really good point. So is that why... Like, I'm trying to assess why you got into contracting at all. Like, I know you were using it. Did you just, was it that, was that necessity? Did you I not? I think when, when I emigrated, because I was working around the trades, okay. I was doing, um, even though I had my engineering degree, I ended up working in refrigeration okay. for a couple of years. So I was working around the trades anyway. So yeah. it was more of a natural flow. It wasn't just like a decision one day, you know, screw it, I'm on a contract. And, yeah. you know, I started just doing with the rental I had, I was just doing work on the first one I bought then. I was kind of managing that myself. Um, and then it just, I'd do little jobs. And then all of a sudden I found out that I'm, when I start getting joint ventures, I was giving up all this time to manage them and, to, and I wasn't getting paid because I wasn't actually charging for it. So I had no money because I wasn't taking the cash flow and I had no time because I was doing all the jobs. And right. I was like, well, this isn't how I planned it. So right. you kind of like, what can I change? And I'm always looking back going, okay, what was I doing there? How can I make it better? And how can I add more value, not just to my joint venture, but to me personally, because my life has a value to it. Right. I didn't want to, and um, if not more than anything else, and people should have value their time more than anything else. I mean, it's okay enjoying what we do and enjoying the journey, which you should if you're going to get into real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just to the point where, well, I'm not going to pay a general contractor an extra 20% on an $80,000 yes. project when there is nothing in that project that I don't know or understand. I might not right. be able to do it all. Like I can't, I, can, I mean, I can hang drywall, but I can't finish drywall, but I know yeah. the time it should take. So I'm not yes. going to let someone charge me 20% more just to do that. Yes. So I, I took on that to save the joint venture money, not to do anything else. Um, and and I've, I've got a good team of people that I work with. Like I've built up a good team of plumbers, electricians, a drywall. Like I have a good team, like support team around me. And because we got to the point where we have a lot of properties, we usually always got some kind of renos, some kind of project going on. Mm-hmm. I was I was doing like two or three properties a year, like fully gutting them, fully renoing. So yeah. the people that I worked with knew that they had work for six to eight weeks on each project. And they were happy to show up to my emergency jobs because we were yes. giving them this work elsewhere. And it wasn't in this boom that we've got going on now. It was in 07, 08, where there was nothing. Yes. There was no real work. So people were happy to get the work. And now that's paying dividends, you know, being, being loyal to my staff and yeah. the team I work with. 
loyalty is a nice thing. I found just to that, that point, I found that in the last, we had a trade boom here, sort of end of 2017, summer 2017 yep. went nuts. It, it was so hard to get people to job sites. I was in the middle of building those condos and like people weren't showing up. It just delayed things and delayed things. And one thing that really helped me out was the ongoing relationships I'd had from several years previous to get to get like my student rental projects done, you know, cause they're on four month timeframes. We couldn't be late cause we had yeah. students moving in September one. So we had to get them done. And, uh, had I not had those relationships, I probably would have been in there myself swinging the hammer and, uh, you know, and I've done that as well to get yeah. on time. Yeah. You step I in. have done that. I have done that. Well, early on I did it more just yeah. cause I wanted to know. I'm like, yeah. I want to, I want to frame. That looks fun. It actually was kind of, I always used to like yeah. the demo stuff, demo yeah. and frame. And it's, it's like chopping things, banging things, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I need someone else to do that. That's too fiddly for me. Yeah. It was all the things that you wanted to do when you were a kid. And, uh, yeah. with the toys, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I think there's a, this is a good time to transition. Would you be able to, to give me a case study example of like a slam dunk deal for you? Uh, what you bought it for, what you put into it, what you did. It could have been a rent to own, or maybe it was a, a flip, or maybe it was a buy and hold. Um, yeah. So, I mean, other than that first one, which we did, that was like mm -hmm. just an accident or a home run, mm -hmm. like 300% return in, in 12 months. Um, I think the first real true where I kind of had my stuff together and I knew what I was doing, it was intentional the way I did it, mm -hmm. was a, it was a house we purchased for 160 and we had to get a bit creative going in because the father passed away and they were stuck holding this house and the people carrying the house while it was in probate they had to, they were paying the taxes, the hydro, the, all the bills, and they didn't have it. So okay. we stepped in, wrote an offer, gave them the full asking price, which is what, what they wanted. Um, but we asked for the ability to go in and renovate and rent it before we even got ownership. So there was a bit of risk there for us yes. because they were like, and we had to get our insurance to indemnify them and things like that because they still owned the house. Mm -hmm. But I said, look, it's going to go through probate. It just might take a year or two. Like it has to go through and you guys own it. So we, and there was only one, there was no one fighting the will or anything like that. We checked all that. I said, so you will end up with it. It's just however long that's going to take. And how about we step in, we'll take over all the bills, insurance, hydro. I'll even back pay you for the two months of hydro that you've shelled out. Cause that was like 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, I went and then you just sign a contract that says we can renovate it. And then if we rent it out before probate goes through, we get to keep the rents. And they were like, mm -hmm. sure. So we stepped in. It took three months to get the probate through, by which time we already had the lower half of the house converted and rented out. Mm -hmm. So we were making money on it already. Um, and we're still not out of pocket now. We've just given them a deposit. So we're now only into it for $10,000 because that's the deposit we give them. And we're now making, I think it was $900 a month. It's <laughs> so, a quick return on investment. Yeah, so, so we were starting to, uh, and we didn't have any mortgage on it at, at any time. So a joint venture partner was in on this with me. He brought in cash. So he brought in the full 160 plus the renovation costs. We were in, we spent 40,000 on reno in total. So we're into this house for 200. At the end of renovations, it was worth 250. Okay. Uh, and we were renting upstairs for 12 and downstairs for 950 after the renovations were finished. Those sound like nice numbers. Yeah. So we were getting 2150 and we were, um, yeah, we were in trip for $200,000. So it cash flowed, I think around 650 to 700, depending on what was going on that month for utilities and stuff. Um, and nice now cash flow. 329 now, and we've got like a $100,000 mortgage on it. So it's just, 
and that was four years ago. Wow. So that was, that, that was the first real, okay, this is my strategy. This is what I'm doing. I bought houses, done a couple of rental owns. I'd, I'd like, I had rentals before mm-hmm. that, but this was like, no, this yeah. is my, and I'd done this strategy a couple of times, but not necessarily yeah. like went out, looked for it, did it. That was the first real one. Okay. So on this one, did you guys, did you guys go to the bank at the end of it? Uh, yeah, when you refinance, pull the money back out and then we moved on to another house and did the same again. So two fifty thousand value is what the appraiser said. Yeah. And yeah. you guys got 80% I'm, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. So 80% of that. So I think that, uh, what's that leave you with? That leaves you with your 200,000. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that's not, uh, that's not bad. So you're basically into the property for zero Yeah. and you were cash flowing, uh, you said six, $700 a month. Yeah. Between six and 700. Average, then, yeah. And then your, your mortgage payments, we could, we could do a rough calculation. Five on what 24 a month. That was your mortgage payment. Still is. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. <laughs> I just finished doing the annual spreadsheet. That's how I know it. <laughs> yeah. So five twenty four a month on that mortgage. And, um, out of that you've got, we'll, we'll call it roughly, um, 3% of your original mortgage would be your payback on a, on a annual basis. Yeah. About that, it's yeah. usually about 3%. That's yeah. a safe bet. Um, so let's just actually calculate that number. I'd like to, I'd like to show these on the, on the podcast. If people watch the YouTube version, they can, uh, they can okay. follow along. So, uh, so 3% on our 200,000 is going to be 6,000 a year and pay down. That sounds about right. So you're paying down your mortgage 6,000 a year. Yep. You're getting, uh, say $600 a month in cash flow. So that's yep. going to be, uh, that's going to be 600 times 72. 12. 72. Yeah. Still early for me and I didn't have enough coffee yeah. this morning. Slow <laughs> for a year. And then what do you figure appreciation has been in your market on a consistent like 10 year basis? It, it just got appraised again because we just appraised it because we're looking at pulling capital out and moving mm-hmm. stuff now and it just got appraised at 329. So would you say, uh, we'd have to work backwards, but would you say like 3% a year is like a safe bet where you are? Like 3% growth oh. every year? So since we've bought the house, last year was 27, year before was like 19. Then we were low. We were like six and five. So, so probably about 12 to 15 has been what the growth has been for the four years and so on. That's insane. Now, but so me as an investor, I know that where we are, it's the same. Like my, my appreciation in the last couple of years has been like 40, 50, you know, yeah, it's nuts. insane. But I would, never, I would never go into an investment expecting that. No, like, that's not normal. Yeah. I tell people these yeah. low interest rates, these low yeah. vacancy and this high appreciation is not normal. Yeah. Like this is, I mean, it's great times if you're mm-hmm. investing, but it's not <laughs> normal. Um, so, I, I allow 3% when I'm doing yeah. calculations. Sure. That's, that's um, what I was trying to get at there. Like, yeah. obviously, obviously you do better in a lot of cases, but what if you don't, it's better to just be safe than sorry. Yeah. Um, so 3% is a pretty safe number. So that's another 7,500 bucks. Um, so if we, Add those three up. So 7,500 plus 7,200 plus another 6,000. So 20,700 on something you have no money in. Yeah. So we can't even calculate. <laughs> we can't even calculate a return because you have no investment. You have yeah. your time, which I mean, yeah. we, we should quantify. I and mean, we could technically say, you know, Gary wants his time to be valued at $200 an hour and you have, you know, 20 hours into the deal yeah. or something along those lines. And, and we could calculate a number based on that if we wanted to. But, uh, Keeping it simple, that's fantastic. And I love examples like this because it shows people, hey, if you, if you can put a deal together, if you use your brain and you can align all the pieces, you can actually put a deal together where you don't have any of your own money in and you're getting paid every month in perpetuity after. Yeah, solve problems. That's, yeah. that's what, like I solved the people's problems that were holding the house. You know, they were stuck 
carrying it with costs. So, like they were in a headache, like they were stressed. Not only they just mm-hmm. lost a parent, he's now got this stress of having mm-hmm. a house. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we helped alleviate that stress. Then it, it, we yeah. created that win-win for everyone. And uh, the guy who we did this house with, the joint venture partner, we actually moved, mm-hmm. took the money out of this house, moved it into another, did the exact same thing again, and mm-hmm. then did another one, did the exact same. So we went from, he started with 160,000 total cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, like actual cash and then you know we yeah. bought 40 and then we paid it but um 160 cash and he's since put in another 200,000 which he'll be getting back yeah this month like a short term loan and he's now mm-hmm. 11 properties that's awesome and with four years and he we set the goal of of 10 in 5 because i said you know mm-hmm. we can roll it through and he was very risk averse so we had to prove the concept of each one mm-hmm. before he's willing to move to the next and show him that it's up and running and yeah so yeah. that's the example of having a, des- a plan by design and following it and each one's slightly different, you know, it's the yeah. numbers, but they're roughly the same kind of numbers. Um, and then as the market appreciated in the last two years, you can't get these kind of numbers because the purchase price has just gone through. Just, it's going to take time for other rents to catch up or, or some yeah. other thing to happen in the market. Um, yeah. Unfortunately. So, so the market's changed for you to change for us too. That's why I'm kind of reevaluating things. Yeah. I love that my portfolio has gone up like crazy. It's just created a problem. It was a, it yeah. was a nice thing and a problem. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good process. So when you get your tax, your, t- your tax assessment, it's like, woo, it's gone up 30%. It's like, shit, it's gone up 30% on my bill. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It, it's a, the market appreciation is good, but it's not something that I, I don't even actually, even though I allow 3% in my head, I never actually calculate it from my joint venture partners. When I'm showing them, when I'm presenting the opportunity to people, I literally just show them, if we are very close on cash flow and the principal just gets paid down, that's yep. all I allow for when I'm showing a joint venture partner, we're going to make 15 to 20% usually is the math. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you get any appreciation, that's when you start getting into your 30, 40% ROI. Yeah. Yeah. If it, I, not that I just go buy a house on the market, but if I was like, I would be absolutely looking to hit 30%. I think that's doable. But I mean, when I'm, I'm getting way better than that, if I go in and I do a, a burr strategy where you go and buy, renovate, yeah. rent yeah. it out, refi, uh, but yeah, you got the work into it, right? Yeah. Uh, where do you get your joint venture partners? Um, so first one was my cousin. Um, second one was I actually, when I first learned about joint ventures and, you know, actively pursued something you know you read rich dad poor dad you read don campbell's books you, you start realizing it as a way of um i actually just hired the local at the barclay hotel went and hired a little room phoned mm-hmm. up probably 10 of my friends and family and just said you know what i've got something i want to show you guys about real estate mm-hmm. you know and i bought a couple of houses so they kind of knew yeah. i was doing it i went this is what i've learned from this book you know who i am this is what i think i can do I will, here's an opportunity that was along sitting on the market and I will run, manage, do this. And all I'm asking for is 10% of the profit. And so it makes no profit. I don't get paid. That was basically how I pitched my first true looking for joint ventures. Um, Three people jumped on board with that who are actually have partnered in on other things with me since. Mm -hmm. Um, I obviously don't do it for that now. Uh, You you start to realize your value in a deal when you realize someone's making 60% plus RI and you're getting like five grand. It's like, that's not fair. Um, yeah. Well, you're solving a problem, right? Yes. I mean, and you should get paid, right? Because I, yeah. I had somebody asking me about this last night, uh, saying like, how do you do joint ventures? Or if you do, like, I personally don't really do them right now, but um, 
if, if I were to, I mean, you'd be solving a problem. Any, anytime you're borrowing an investor's money, if they're making, let's say the average person in North America on their investments is probably making in the four, 3% range, factoring in all those people that are making negative returns. And then those people who are getting, you know, 10 plus the rarities. Mm-hmm. So if they're there and you could even offer them 8%, they're winning by 4%. You're solving their problem. You're helping them retire sooner. You're helping them build their child's education fund, whatever it might have been. And uh, if you can do that, you have an opportunity to win. They have an opportunity to win. Again, yeah. business of solving problems. I, I had a coaching client uh, recently who just started with us. She was going through the program, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome because she just bought her first duplex, everything. Like she's killing it straight out the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said to me, because we talk about RSPs, using RSP mortgages and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which I know is another huge topic. And uh, I said, well, what are you actually doing with your RSPs? And they were losing 20% a year. And this person was continually giving more money right. to the financial planner, which I use the term in italics and drives me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I said, she said, well, what should I do? I went, stop giving them money. I said, if, yeah. said, if you were giving me money and I was just losing 20% of it, like if you give me a, every thousand bucks and I was just throwing 200 out the window, mm-hmm. what would you do? She went, stop giving me the money. I went, so there you go. You've just answered <laughs> your question. So yeah. stop doing that and then figure out what you want to do. But yeah. stop digging. And I think so many people don't realize, you know, that they're giving their money to somebody, whoever this is, and I'm not saying anything against the industry as a whole, but they'll give their money to people and hope that the destination is where they were promised when they get off the plane. Whereas yeah. I think with real estate, you can be conscious of the plane you're on and be making adjustments. Mm-hmm. So you do end up at the correct destination in time. Yes. Well, the key is control. And uh, to your comment, I would say one of the fundamental things I've learned, and I've been burned badly, you never assume somebody is going to look out for your best interests. You can't, you can't do that. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's gotta be earned. Yeah. And, and in my opinion is probably one of the hardest things to earn. And yeah. I, I can't think of, you know, that many people that have earned that with me. And, uh, you know, so I'll always hedge myself and protect myself and I won't take unnecessary risk, but there was a time where my property manager, uh, in, in Ohio, I had a couple of properties down there needed money for renovation. And I gave uh, one of those bound up $10,000 wads of American yeah. cash to my friend to take down to him because it was a six hour drive. I didn't know how to do the drafts for us dollars because it was Canadian dollars to the us, whatever. So I just took it out. So stupid. Anyways, luckily he actually did account and gave me a statement saying he had it, but then the guy proceeded to collect rent from my property and keep it. He lived on my money. He lived on my renovation money and then he didn't pay attention to the property he was supposed to be managing. The, someone broke in, broke the water pipe uh, after the meter and the whole place flooded. Like the fan blades, wooden fan blades were literally sagging. They had actually warped and they were sagging off the ceiling because of the humidity mold in the house. I literally gave the house away. I had to give it away. I was actually in a position where the, the official verdict from my friend down, down there was that I was actually going to have to pay somebody to take it from me. The land wasn't even worth anything. And that, like, I almost threw up. <laughs> yeah. But that experience shaped me as an investor. It made me yeah. so, so careful. And, it, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was the big thing. Like, hey, I, I imagine most people don't have a story like that and probably won't, and I hope they don't. But yeah, yeah. when it does happen, if you can take that and you can use that, if it doesn't get you out of the game, it's going to make you so much stronger. And I think what you said then, which is, is key to people investing is, is don't stop moving forward regardless mm-hmm. of what happens. You're mm-hmm. going to have ups, downs, setbacks. I have myself, I mean, you know, that's, you know, a huge setback. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but as long as you keep moving forward, you're going to end up somewhere in the future with real estate. And if you're in the game long enough, mm-hmm. then you're going to do okay if yes. you're smart, if you know, you know, if if you're conscious about what you're doing, where you're putting your money. Yeah. And I think um, uh, just cycling back to where you said about um, money and joint ventures and where I get them from, I think once I'd started getting a track record. Yes. And proving those returns, more people started approaching me now to actually yeah. say, hey, take my money and go and invest it. And I, I remember when I started, people said, money is the least of your worries when you get good at it. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, money will find you. And yes, money will come to you if the deal is good enough, but you have to be broadcasting that you are yes. actively looking for money and you're actively looking for deals. Yes. And once you do that, then people are aware that, okay, like these four doors we just bought in Leduc. I've never even been to Leduc. I've never like, I wasn't, but because I'd reached out, connected with someone, mm-hmm. said, hey, look, I see what you're doing. Um, I'd like to be kept in the picture. If any deals come along, this is who I am. This is what I'm. I got a phone call the other week and it was someone said, hey, I've got these four doors. The guy needs out. It was two duplexes, like legal up down. The guy mm-hmm. needs out, needs the cash. He'll carry the loan. He'll leave his equity in interest-free for up to five years. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay. Like, the numbers just made so much yeah. sense. Cash flow of 500 bucks each. So because I was in a position now where I've got a group of people, I literally said, give me two minutes. I picked up the phone, phoned one of my other cash investors and said, are you interested in this? They said, you know, asked a couple of questions. I hung the phone up, phoned the guy back and went, done, we buy them. And that was it. It was as fast as that. So we now own these houses. I've never seen them. I've never been, I mean, there's a lot more behind the scenes. I'm aware of Leduc. I I knew what's going on in the town, the demographics, the job growth. Um, The person who's writing the contracts, I know him as a lawyer personally. Yeah. So I know the contracts are going to be good. Even though I didn't know this person was using them. As soon as I heard he was the one writing the contracts, I was like, okay, good. I don't need to ask questions. Yeah. I know the contracts that he writes. Yeah. And again, that came from experience, but my experience now allowed me to pick up the phone, raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in two minutes, mm-hmm. and then move forward on a deal and have a shared ownership of that deal. So now my joint ventures, yeah. I've kind of got a portfolio, I guess, of people. And money that I can call, depend on the type of deal, knowing that who the people are. So it's uh, isn't that powerful <laughs> to just know? It's yeah. the power of knowing when the deal comes, I can do that deal. And you yeah. don't start there. You don't start there. But no, eventually, no. people like to brag. That was what I was. Saying. I wanted to say that earlier. People love to brag at, at you know the Christmas dinner table or the dinner table or family gatherings. Oh, did I tell you what I've been up to? Yeah, I've been making ten percent or five percent or whatever. And and they you know I'm getting paid every month. And like what? How are you doing yeah. that? And, and it's so funny that everyone becomes your salesperson when things, so just keep taking care of your investors and, and they'll spread the good word and, and you won't have to do much. I think so, we miss that as, as an yeah. investor a lot of the time. And me, I'm yeah. guilty of this as well, yeah. is a lot of investors don't think like we do. Yeah. Um, we're like a little bit nuts and crazy, um, mm-hmm. for of a better word. Mm-hmm. And I've got to be conscious to make sure that I put together their portfolios to show them what they're making to keep them on that momentum of excitement. Otherwise, if you're not telling them what's going on so they can brag about that, they'll yeah. hear from their friend Bob over here who yeah. will tell them how great this is. And all of a sudden their attention shifts and they're not focused yeah. on you and yours. They're focused on something else. Or, oh, Bitcoin, that's great. Let me pull all my money out of yeah. the house and throw it in Bitcoin. Yeah, you don't want to do that when you're making 40 plus percent over here. Like, I have a good, I have a good remedy for that. I just do monthly payments. 
People don't forget about me when I give them, uh, when there's a deposit in their account every month from me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm memorable. <laughs> memorable because I give them cash. It's, it it's works. Like, I buy me. my friends. That's okay. <laughs> well, it, you know, when they're, they're private lending, uh, that instant gratification, um, I know people can say on paper, there's a better return if I wait and I might get a higher, if I, if I don't do it as, a, yeah. as an interest rate. But um, if I could just pay somebody a simple interest rate and they get paid every month, they feel good about that. There's an emotional yeah. thing when money drops in your account every month that people love. And There's a lot of people I do, they'll double dip. So my, some of my joint venture partners are also the bank. Okay. So they'll joint venture in, but then they'll also provide the mortgage at like four or 5% interest only payments. Fantastic. So it's, it's kind of, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing now a lot of people are wanting to not necessarily invest for the returns, but they're wanting to just park the capital. They don't want it sitting in the bank earning nothing and they don't want to invest it in the market because they've seen what can happen if the market's tank. They don't want to lose yeah. 40%. So they're happy to just park it in real estate. And I'm starting to see that shift of um, like one of our investors sold, literally sold the farm and mm-hmm. parked it. They never have to work again for the rest of their lives. They don't need to make any more money. Yeah. They just don't want to have it in the bank. And they're happy to park it in real estate at a low interest rate. So if, a, if someone's double dipping like that, then I do say then, you know, we're not going to charge 6 7 8% because you just, I can go get a bank at three. Yep. So why would, I, why would I do that? But I'm happy to do four or five interest only. And then they'll get the payments just like a mortgage that shows up on the statement. Yep. And things are you see, and that goes in the bank every month. So they see that regular payment and they're happy to mortgage other houses. Yeah. That's great. And yeah, so I mean, ultimately it comes down to there's a million different ways to do it, right? Yeah. And it's all about your own creative problem solving. I think creativity is such a, a key thing, like what you did with that estate sale. So probate is, is basically, so somebody had died and, and they were selling their house, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Same thing. You were being creative. You were solving that problem for them. Um, anytime you can do that, it's not to say there's one right or, right or wrong way, but just get it done and, and make it work for everybody. And, uh, and then it's a win, right? So uh, on that note, I want to, you know, we're a little bit over, over time here. So I just wanted to, to uh, take a moment and ask you, uh, if somebody wanted to learn a little bit more about you and what you're doing, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, so there's a couple of ways. People can go to the YouTube channel, Revenue with Real Estate, which is the YouTube channel. Um, our website is rentalhouseprofits.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and likewise, you know, just reach out to me. I'm, I'm pretty accessible most of the time. I think the joys of real estate is <laughs> you do have flexibility in your time. I mean, the fact that yes. I can sit here and not be rushing off to a job. Uh, That's great. I, I, I still work 40 hours a week. I just choose those 40 hours. Um, Same. So, you know, if, if someone wants to reach out to me, I can take half an hour, an hour out of my day, have a conversation. Like, we could probably sit here and talk for four hours about <laughs> real estate back and forth. Yeah. So. Um, I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy helping other people solve their problems as well. It's, it's kind of where I, I, I don't want to say my giving back. That sounds a bit corny. But I, I enjoy when people phone up and go, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Can you help? And you, yeah. can, and you can help. And I, I don't charge for that. I don't know if I'm going to get a million phone calls now. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I actually enjoy doing that. It helps me keep me on my toes. And it, some people present problems that I've never thought of before. Yeah when they reach out and all of a sudden now I'm going to apply that in my own business. So there is a mutually beneficial way to mm-hmm. help other people solve the problems as well. It's, it's not a totally selfless thing that we do. That, that's one of the reasons I love networking with other investors because they have a different problem. You have a different problem and together you guys combine your, your knowledge and you just bridge yeah. that gap. It's yeah. great. And um, there's always someone who's done it. There's no yeah. one, there's nothing new we're doing. There's always somebody done it. And if, if you ask most people, they'll share that information free. Yeah. Absolutely. Most people love to talk about what they do. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of questions for you. Favorite real estate-based book? 
Oh, I've got two. Two? Um, so the first one, the, I think the Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think yeah. everybody reads that because the concept, it just confirms in your mind that you yeah. think it's right. Um, actually, three, Canadian Real Estate by Don Campbell and More Than Cashflow by Julie Broad. So okay. Don, because it's so simple, down to earth, this is yeah. it. it. It's not, it shouldn't be exciting. That's what mm. I like about that. It's just, you know what? Follow this, do it smart, take your time. It's not a get rich quick to create wealth over time. Yes. Um, and then I like Julie's more than cash flow because it kind of yeah. highlights the industry and where the sharks are and what to watch out for. So, I mean, okay. I probably spent $30,000, $40,000 on education, whereas I could have read that book and I would have saved that $30,000, $40,000. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, all- those three books for sure. That's awesome. Okay. What's your, uh, your favorite vacation destination? Oh, now it's the next one. The next one? <laughs> Wherever I'm going. Next. The next one? Okay. I've, I think- I've, I'm kind of spoiled. I've been to over 100 countries in the world, so I've, wow. I've kind of seen a lot in the Royal Navy for 11 years. Oh, okay. Places. Um, and I think everywhere is beautiful for its own reason. Yeah. I'm always, wherever I'm going next, that's my favorite vacation because it's the one you're looking forward to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm very keen. I've been to I've been to Austria so many times because uh, yeah. my my fiance's family's from there, and we just keep going back. One of my favorite places. But I'm I'm interested in seeing some new ones now. I think so. Vancouver Island. I mean, I yes. I emigrated here because I had a holiday yeah. when I was 16. Had a holiday on Sprout Lake and thought I want to yeah. live here one day. And it was almost 22 years to the day I bought a house on the lake. Yeah overlooking where I'd spent that holiday. So, and that was yeah. because of real estate. Yeah. You live in a beautiful spot. I haven't been on the Island. I've been to BC, been to Vancouver. I'd love to get out there because the whole province is just insane. Yeah, definitely. I have to make it out there sometime. Well, come we'll down. Bust. We'll get out on the lake. We'll take yeah. the boat out. We'll go cruising. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right there. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So if anyone wants to reach me, uh, Instagram or Facebook at the Andrew Hines, uh, easiest way, uh, reach out. I'd love to connect. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and share this episode so more people can hear about what Gary's doing. Uh, Obviously, you have an interesting story. There's a lot people can learn from this conversation. And I really appreciate everyone listening. And I really appreciate you, Gary, for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. It's, it's been awesome. And, and uh, I would like to reiterate, you know, this, this podcast, I only started listening to it after you had John on, mm-hmm. uh, a guy that we were connected with. And uh, it, it's awesome. Like there are so many great points in there, even stuff, you know, I've, I've been around a while and I've mm-hmm. listened to your podcast and I've probably picked up seven or eight top tips just from what I've listened to that I've yeah. wrote down and I'm like, hey, this is coming in our business. So thank you for putting it on. It's awesome. Oh, it's like free education, right? I'm there. I'm asking these questions because I'm interested, man. Like, yeah, even if yeah. I've heard it before, I want to hear it again. Tell me again, yeah. because you know what? It sinks in. It really does. So it's like the hockey player. Yeah. If you want to be a pro, yeah. you're not good because of the amazing things you do. You're good because you do the simple things exceptionally well. And it's the same yes. in real estate. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the kind words. That, that was really great. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll stay in touch obviously. And, and, uh, I'll get you on the show again sometime. Thanks, Andrew. Have All an right. amazing day. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.